Hi, I'm Gareth K. Violet. This is the CCA podcast for November. Let's begin by thanking Sunny Govern FM for broadcasting the show this month. And we've got four guests coming up later who really demonstrate the variety of events that are happening across the month in the CCA. The music that introduced the show today comes from the Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra. And Jerry Rossi will be chatting later about their GeoFest. At the end of the show, following on from last month's phone call from Monathy, another Buzzcut visitor, Travis Alabanza, will be talking about Edinburgh Festival success and burgers. Irene Houston explains the programme and philosophy of the Havana Glasgow Film Festival. However, first of all, Maryhill Integration Network are going to be presenting an exhibition in the Intermedia Gallery, and Pina Aksu and Iman Tajik are going to explain how a special book has become a special exhibition. My next guest today will be arriving at the CCA in the Intermedia Gallery that's on the third floor. I think the best thing is if I ask, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Pinar Aksu and I work with Maryhill Integration Network. Great, so the exhibition that we're going to get is created by the Maryhill Integration Network. Can you tell us, it's Sea of Paperwork is its name, very evocative title, what's it about? Yes, um, well it's, it's a project that we have developed last year and the title of the book is called The Sea of Paperwork. It was a project uh, initially developed by Maryhill Integration Network in partnership with CONFAB. And basically what we have done was we visited a couple of primary schools and secondary schools and after school uh, clubs to create the work. So we worked with Knightswood Secondary School, uh, St Philan's Primary, Evergreen Outdoor Nursery and Dunard After School Care. And the idea was to talk with the young people about migration. So we did a couple of workshops and a couple of sessions in each of the places and we looked at why people leave and the impact this has on people and what welcoming looks like and how does people make their place home. I mean, Really important stuff to be engaging young people with at the moment. I'm interested in the title, The Sea of Paperwork. How did it get that name? Yeah, it's well, the whole process was very interesting, like I said, because we used creative methods to engage with the young people. Instead of just going to schools and talking about, well, this is what it is and this is the impact, what we done was we used creativity to talk about um, why migration happens and when people move to different countries, um, what impact does this have on people? So in one of the sessions actually that we done with the young people, um, the, one of the young people did a drawing and the drawing, we've used that concept for the book cover actually. And in the drawing, it said that um, after crossing the sea, they were met by a harder barrier, the one made of paper. So the concept actually came from the young people's work. And um, so we, they just, we just ex- um, took that idea and made the title The Sea of Paperwork. And I think it nicely ties with all of the stories that, and drawings that we've seen from um, all the workshops. Were many of the young people, had they migrated themselves at any stage? It was a very mixture of uh, young people. So there were some groups where, uh, I think it was especially the Knightswood Secondary School. Um, they were from like Iraq, Syria, uh, Iran. And yeah, they had direct experiences um, of migration and war as well. So to hear their stories were very powerful. And in the other schools, there was migration, but obviously migration happens in different concepts and different ways. And what was the powerful thing was 
when we actually talked with the young people, we identified even when you go to holiday, for example, to France or Spain, what are the barriers you face there? So the barriers of like language, culture even came there. So it wasn't that typical idea of this is war, this is what it is. It was more about the barriers, even if you go abroad, what do you face with? And it was very interesting to hear from young people. You know, they were especially ones who are like 10, 11 year old. And um, when they were talking about, well, we couldn't understand each other, but we were directing with our gestures and using our like hands. So that was very powerful to hear from them. It seems as if there's two kind of strands in the project in that way, both educating young people about the processes and the experience of migration, but also allowing people who have experienced migration to tell their stories, which, which seems a very exciting double up and in a way the young people educate each other is that part of what you were hoping to do that they would tell their stories to each other as well absolutely and it's, it's about creating that space where they feel comfortable doing it and rather than directly asking them so what is migration you know can you tell us your experience we actually created a space where they were drawing where they were um, creating pictures where they were doing some image work and some collage and then from there, they were telling their stories. And not just by drawing or creating collage, we actually had some students who were using poetry and writing their stories fully in a, um, in a kind of story format rather than uh, expressing through drawing. Well, we do have an artist who's involved in the project here. So if I could just turn my head slightly. I'm, <clears throat> I'm Iman Tajik and I'm Iranian artist, live and work in Glasgow. Okay, so how did you get involved in the project? I invited by Pinar to get involved to her project and uh, to create the exhibition for this project. Doing this because uh, uh, because the concept and the story of uh, this work is relative to my own work and also my personal history. Mm. So how long have you been in Glasgow for now? Uh, it's for seven and a half, seven years and a half. It's lovely people. And Can I ask you about your role in the project? I involved uh, to, to create mm -hmm. the exhibition for the uh, mm -hmm. for this project, and uh, just uh, we're gonna together with the Pinar, we're gonna set up the exhibition, mm -hmm. and we're gonna uh, present uh, the artwork with the with uh, from this uh, young mm -hmm. art uh, young uh, people, and also. Uh, we're going to make some space uh, which is conceptually talk about the concept of this project. And that will be upstairs in the Intermedia Gallery. Yes. So you're, you're the CCA connection, if you like. You're, you're doing the work that's here, yes. having taken it. What kind of process do you go through? Because there's a transition here. They, they've made work which is towards a book, which is a variety of things. How did you select what you wanted to put up as an exhibition? What, was it, what were your thoughts going into that? Uh, I think... Uh, we gonna, I mean, we have some kind of limitation because of the nature of the work. Because we, I mean, like we have to be kind of show as much most of artwork from the young people because everyone, I'm sure, they love to see their work in the exhibition space. So we have to show most of the work, but uh, we gonna do in the kind of phase select some work to present on the wall and the other work. Present in the different way, and uh, we're gonna make kind of we're gonna make the space uh, which is like make home feeling a space, mm -hmm. and we're gonna make it space which is uh, invite the people to come inside and look at the artwork and uh, and read the book and have uh, some experience in the space as uh, home 
comfortable home, peaceful home, and just hopefully to kind of rethink people about all these kind of uh, ideas of immigration and homes. Is curation something you do quite often, or what, what's your usual art practice? Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a multimedia artist. Uh, I make an installation. Uh, I make session in, I make an installation for a gallery space and also in the public space to engage public as well. Uh, I use more uh, image, photography, and uh, video uh, in my work and performance. So you're the ideal person to curate the space upstairs. I think that's really where your experience lies as well. So it's great. So it's a, a continuation of your usual practice. That's, that's wonderful. And have you been involved with the integration network before? Uh, yes, I've been for a long time. Uh, I've been involved in a different way. And uh, I mean, like, I don't think so, like, so much, but I was involved in a few projects. And uh, but this project, uh, I'm working with the uh, Pinar, and uh, I'm so glad working with her. That's the perfect segue back to you, Pina. Could you tell me a little bit about the integration network, Mary Hill Integration Network? What does it do and what are its aims and its objectives? Yeah, um, well, Mary Hill Integration Network was set as a response to people arriving back in 2000s. Um, and it was set by a group of people and our director, Rema. Um, she was actually one of the refugees who came through the resettlement program from Kosovo. So it was a response and a need for the community to uh, welcome people. And since then, it's been running. Um, we have so many groups that run throughout the week, um, from men's group to women's group, from a family group to a youth group. And throughout the week, we provide support for people. We provide a space for people to come along, meet other people, and also um, to help them during their journeys. Um, we also do some outreach work, which is why this piece of work um, completed and came um, across. We've been doing lots of work with primary schools, secondary schools, and obviously going to conferences and community groups to talk about migration. Um, and um, this is, I would say, this is kind of some of the main work we do, but we also do some campaigning on some of the issues, especially on at the moment with um, lift the ban campaign to give asylum seekers right to work. Uh, we've been working with the Refugee Council, to, with the Scottish Refugee Council to look at, uh, to give asylum seekers and refugees the right to vote, um, some advocacy work. And um, yeah, it's just that having that space of providing support, um, providing help and providing um, uh, working with the local community, I think, um, because in the name, as you can, you know, it's integration network. So we believe that integration is from both sides. It's not just having one community saying, you know, you have to integrate. It's more of creating that bridge and um, raising awareness to the people about why people move and why we should understand each other. Because a project like this seems to really strike at the heart of what you do as an organisation. It's engaging with young people in particular. And I think that's very important. I think sometimes it's easy if you're a campaigning body or you're working with communities to work at that high level, if you like, the lobbying level. But actually getting in with young people at school and making this part of their education it seems so crucial. But the other side as well is I've been aware of the organisation because of the creative output. And this is a very good example. How did you get involved with the CCA? 
Well, with the exhibition, so what we had done was when the, when the project came to an end and when we uh, published the book. So the idea, it wasn't meant to be like this big. <laughs> it was meant to be having a small kind of book uh, for children. But because the context and the content and the context was so powerful and the work was so amazing that we decided that, you know what, we're going to take this a step further. And the, the young people's involvement was wonderful. From that, we created um, another piece of work with St. Philan's Primary, which is called Under the Jasmine Tree, uh, which, is cr which was creating a poem, turning that into an animation. So that came out of the project. And um, afterwards, when the project had finished, we had this great piece of work from the young people. So talking with the young people as well, I think that was the other key important thing. We had their ideas of what we should do next. And we thought of, well, you know, we should engage with the wider community and not just with the space around Mary Hill or south side of Glasgow. So we thought we'll take this into an art uh, platform. And like you mentioned, we do a lot of work with creativity and with art. So we, I had a chat with uh, Viviana and she said that, you know, we should be happy to help uh, to put an exhibition on here. So we've, um, yeah, we've had the space now. And like Iman mentioned, um, after chatting with Iman, he we talked about the concept of home and how we could use the young people's work. I think that's the main. Yeah, that's been the process. Well, the only thing for me to ask really is when does it happen? Yeah, I mean, um, at the moment um, we're here <laughs> to kind of look at the space now, and we are in the final stages of it. Um, so the we the exhibition is going to be on um, actually throughout the 11th of November till the 17th of November. Um, and as you mentioned, it's in the Intermedia Gallery, so people can come along and see the space, sit down, um, enjoy the work, and um, invite other people to come along too. We are going to have a launch though on the 11th of November, which is going to be in the evening from 6 till 8, um, as I remember. And on the 15th of November, we're going to have a discussion with the workshop facilitators. So myself, Tilly, Safana and Bisha, who who has been the kind of people running the workshops, will be talking with the people about the process, how it all came. Um, and then on the 16th, on the Saturday, we're going to have a discussion with the young people. So we're going to invite some of the participants uh, who created the work to talk about, you know, their input, what they've seen, um, which I think is the, is the most exciting and powerful uh, part of the exhibition for me, just to see that and um, what the young people are going to say because sometimes you know we might have idea that oh they're so young they don't know about migration but during the workshops it was very powerful like the knowledge they have actually is more um useful and and more aware of what is going on than i would say general public and um, which has been the case so like i said it's going to be on um from 11th november till 17th november wonderful thank you so much My next guest today has been visiting, I guess, the CCA for a few years now with the Havana Glasgow Film Festival, which is happening between the 13th and the 16th of November. Welcome, first of all. Would you mind introducing yourself? It's certainly. Um, I'm Irene Houston. Um, I'm the director of Havana Glasgow Film Festival, which is now in its fifth year. And as you say, we've been with the CCA, we've been coming to the CCA for three years. 
And we love it here, of course. <laughs> it's great. And um, yeah, so we're very excited to have managed to, to survive till um, festival number five. And um, we're really looking forward to, to this year. Well, that's quite established by number five, I think. Where did the festival begin? What inspired you to start it up? Well, I've been going to Cuba for 23 years now. I'm um, a filmmaker myself, a screenwriter, um, and recently been making documentaries. Um, uh, because it's easier to make documentaries than feature films, I think a lot of people will um, be with me on that. Well, not easier, but easier to get you know to get the finance. Um, and I've been also been going to Cuba for all that time. I was a teacher at the a professor at the film school in Cuba. They've got a very famous film school. In fact, we're doing showing some films from that film, the Cuban film school, on the Friday on the on the Wednesday night, on the thirteenth. Um, and just my love of Cuba, where I actually had a film shot there that I that had written, um, and that led me to going to quite a lot of the film festivals there, seeing a lot of Latin American films, especially Cuban films. Um, and I just, it's very hard for Cuban films to be seen outside of Cuba and the rest of the world. They get shown in Latin America, but they hardly get shown in Europe, and they hardly ever get shown in the in the UK. Um, and so it seemed for all the uh, for all the things that Cuba creative things that Cuba had got me brought me all the inspiration etc. I wanted to pay something back and of course we have the situation here where Havana and Glasgow are twin cities. There's still a lot of people that don't know that, but one of the purposes was also to say to people, look, Havana and Glasgow are twin cities, and so it's about us sharing the culture, discovering each other's culture, and us showing Cuban films here, which otherwise people just wouldn't get a chance to see. In selecting the films for this year's showings, was there any particular approach you took or aesthetic that you imposed perhaps on the events? Well, each year we try to we try to have a theme. I mean, in last year we, we were very much looking at women directors, women actors, and that the focus was on women. And um, we do that obviously every year that there'll be a sort of dual focus. But this year, um we have two well we have a main theme but but this is also the 60th year of the of the um the cuban film institute ecaic and we work very closely with ecaic doing the curation so it's a kind of joint curation be between myself the co-director who's cuban lives in cuba um and the film institute in ecaic but of course there's also some independent films there's a bit of an independent industry now growing in cuba but this one is particularly looking at at, at uh, the film institute and films made over the year, you know, the last sixty years since the revolution and since Ikaik was formed um, sixty years ago. So this is Ikaik's sixtieth anniversary. Oh, so it's quite a big event for them. Fifth year for you, sixtieth for them. So sixtieth for them, yeah, slightly slightly bigger for them, slightly perhaps. Bigger, but, <laughs> so that's why we're inviting um, um, a member of Ikaik who's uh, in chart in uh, international um, relations uh, from Ikaik. Um, but we're also one of our themes is film can change the world, and one of the things I love about Cuban cinema is its humanism, and it tends to do stories about um, you know everyday things that happen or. It, it 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 wants to illuminate and and um and you know share the, the people's stories and kind of share the stories back to them if you like um and this year we're especially excited to have um Mirta Ibarra who is one of Cuba's very favorite top actors and she's been all over the world she was one of the stars in Fresh and Chocolate um and we're showing that for the 25th anniversary um 
but uh, she was she won the stars of Fresh and Chocolate, but she was also married to Thomas Gutierrez Alea, or also known as Teton, affectionately as Teton, and she is going to be presenting her documentary about her husband Thomas Alea and the CCA on Saturday afternoon. She's going to be talking about him and his life. So although it's a Q&A, it's more than a Q&A. It will be a real talk. And we also have one of the other stars of Fresh and Chocolaty, which, of course, was um, uh, Thomas Alea's most famous film and the first film to Cuban film to be nominated for an Oscar. So we also have Vladimir Cruz, and they'll both be here on the Saturday afternoon to, to, <clears throat> to talk about working with Thomas Alea. Um, and it's a very exciting period in, in, in Cuban cinema in the 60s and 70s, just after there was a, you hear him talking about how all the filmmakers rushed back to Cuba after the revolution to to get this opportunity to make all these, you know, films that they've always wanted to make. And and it's just a lot, it's just a wonderful documentary. And I can't wait to hearing Myrta talk. She's a real good, she's a right, she's a right good chatter. You know, she's so great at talking about her life and stuff and terribly entertaining. And there's a wonderful story about how she met and fell in love with Alea so you know, please come and, I mean, that, that'll that just be great. I'm very excited about that. I know Julie was as well. She was saying, oh, that looks really, mm-hmm. that looks really exciting. Absolutely. I mean, that was my next question was to ask you, what guests do you come have coming over? But is there a balance between documentaries and fictional films as well? Or what do you emphasise? It it really depends as to, it depends on the theme that we have in the year, the year and also the films that come out because obviously Cuba's, you know, it's not, majorly prolific in terms of the films that come out so we need to we like to show a back catalogue and and newer films that we like and and sometimes we you know there's a couple of newer films that I'll I'll maybe show next year the year after depending on what our 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 theme is um and now I've forgotten what you asked me because I was um you were asking me Predominantly documentaries or fiction. Oh, when it's do- predominantly doc. Um, so you know, so that depends. And I think a couple of years ago we had quite a few documentaries. This year it's mostly drama. And I think the the although having said that, actually the Teton is a documentary. Um, there's a little documentary about Myrta, which is lovely, which we're just showing on Saturday morning, mm-hmm. um, or Saturday lunchtime. But there's also a, a documentary on one of the top um, uh, bands in. In Cuba, so now that I'm saying that it's mostly it's mostly fiction, but we do have three documentaries, and there's some short documentaries as well on our Wednesday night short film program. Is there anything in particular you'd say if you were watching a Cuban film or thinking about Cuban cinema? Is there a particular approach that they have? You said it was very humanistic. Yeah. Is, is yeah. there anything else in, in perhaps the way it's filmed or, or those kinds of approaches? Um. I, yes. Is it does come out of a a kind of natural humanism that there is in the in the society and it in it, it they are very much about about looking at life and reflecting life and that is the the most predominant thing and also looking at it, it's very much there's there's about what relevant to relevant to the moment that the, that they're in if you like you know it's it's and, and maybe they don't they have less kind of um fantasies or or you know um sci-fi that kind of thing although they did have a very successful film called Juan of the Dead mm-hmm. which was really successful and it um and uh so that's what attracts me to it and I think it's a little very similar 
to to our sensibilities and what Glaswegians, you know, our films, our own homegrown films, if you think of, um, you know, things from Gregory's Girl to Angel Share to, and then even the documentary No Passeran, which we're actually taking to Cuba, uh, taking to Cuba this year. Um, there's a kind of really interest in people and struggle and, and ordinary people's lives. It's not, you know, not so much glamour and it, it really kind of appeals to me. I mean, I find myself on a plane, you know, when, I, when, I, when I'm flying, um, when I'm going to Cuba and uh, you're trying to find films to watch and I might, there might be a hundred and I might, well, maybe not, you know, and you might find three you want to watch, four you want to watch. So um, I think Latin America and Cuba in particular bring that kind of something that, you, that I, I want to see. Mm -hmm. And I think, as I say, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a, it's something that Glaswegians and the Scots like as well. That, you know, something. That, I mean, there would be. I think there would like to be room for some, you know, some fantasies or some of that, you know. But but remember that the they're very restricted in in their, you know, in in capabilities, you know, and the, the, there's still a big blockade, which has been tightened up with with Trump at the moment, which is making life very difficult. And of course, so it's hard to do any sort of big big mad budget things but they manage remarkably well and are very resourceful in, in the resources that they have i mean that, that seems to be something that's that's worth mentioning is that the politics of the situation as well of course after the revolution in, in some ways cuba has been under such tremendous pressure a unique pressure i think perhaps in the world in terms of those blockades and the resistance from america towards it does that come through in the films apart from them being limited perhaps in their budgets um you know cute it doesn't come through hugely. There was quite a few documentaries about, um, you know, people leaving and the boat, the boats and things like that. But it's, it's that that, I suppose the struggle would come. You know, the struggle to survive comes through a lot because obviously it is it is quite a struggle. But there's an awful lot of joy in the films. It's um and as well as the struggle. So so they do a bit like as I say again. I do I do think the glass regions and the Cubans. You know I do think we're very and have you know people from Havana. There is a lot of similarities in how we deal with hardship. And you know there's a lot of humour. There's a lot of looking at yourselves and and like the like for example one of our films Savendi is about you know uh, is about dig, you know digging up a body to sell off the the plots of land just to, to, to be able to survive. So there's a kind of black humour, a lot of, you know, and a lot of that self-mocking and black humour, which is also, I think, very, very Glaswegian. That's why I think uh, people here really enjoy the film so much. There's always a very, we've always got a very high enjoyment level of the film. So, so it's that kind of, um, uh, you know, a lot of humour in, in the situation and in the problem. So it's not a, you, you don't see really you know oh poor me film isn't things terrible kind of thing it's more of a yeah things are pretty bad but we'll we'll find a way and uh you know and and, and the friendship and camaraderie and 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 um you know inventiveness will 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 see a way through but it also it also throws up dilemma you know dilemmas and 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 it does chat make you know challenge ideas so they do have a a history of challenging films and like and um, Thomas Salea especially, um, he, you know, one of his most famous films, Memory of Underdevelopment, which which we showed last year, um, last May, or or we would have shown that this year, but we already showed it last year. But it, it it's um an incredible film about looking at, you know, it's very sort of, you know, it's not a simple film. It's quite critical and it's looking at things from a very interesting perspective. And and also you've got the very famous Fresh and Chocolaté that, that and, and the reason we've called our 
our um, this film can change the world is that that the present chocolate about a gay relationship in Cuba was something that had a huge impact on on um, people's attitudes towards homosexuality in Cuba. And and this is incredibly important. Um, we have a short film now that was that was about, um, you know, the violence against you know, discrimination and violence in the period of black, black power, you know, against black people. That's still very relevant um, um, now, and that's that, that's that's one of the you know it's a very dramatic film, short. So these films all had an impact on people's attitudes, and so the question that and it interests me as a filmmaker because that people are, make films for different ideas, but you want to sort of illuminate and affect change. You know that's 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 why a lot of filmmakers do what they do, um, and and that 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 that's um, I think that is something that that that. Uh, is is in you know in quite a number of, of of Cuban films as well. So there's always you know different aspects reflecting back the, the people that you're that you're film that you're exhibiting to. There's looking at different you know inspiring different ways of seeing you know all that kind of lots of um, interesting aspects. So you're you're here for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. Do you know how many films you're showing roughly? Um, I was counting them up actually. I think we're showing. Well, we're showing. We've got eight events. No, I think we've got seven showings here, and then we've got two at the GFT. Which um, and but here's the opportunity to actually really hear the people talking a lot because yes. we're going. And one of the things I think people really enjoy about our festivals is is discussions. So we've got big. We've got. Um, Another discussion on the Saturday night of, of one other Alea films called um, "Up to a Certain Point," where it's a it's a lovely film about him struggling to be a bit more of a feminist mm-hmm. post post revolution, mm. you know, and he kind of but you know he falls in love with a sort of firebrand played by Mirte Barra. So we're having a discussion about about women's equality and how how you can you know how the Id, Id, idealism of trying to be equal you know how this guy's really struggling to to be positive towards feminism but finds himself actually being quite you know um machist quite a machista in, in the situation so so we're having a discussion there we'll have it we'll be hearing Mirta and that'll be opportunity to discuss we're having a discussion about young opportunities for young people after after the short films on the Wednesday night so it's always that so 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 CCA is where we, you know, we, we get the opportunity to talk and um, Mirta and Vladimir will be here after Fresh and Chocolate, but that, there won't be much opportunity after the GFT, but it'd be great to see it and then come here and you can hear more hear more about it and get a chance to, to talk to everybody. Well, I think that's the exciting things with festivals is that opportunity to have these kinds of conversations and these kind of, well, these people coming along. It's an incredible honour, really, to have them in the city, I think. Absolutely. And these are two, I mean, Mirta, she's been you know she's been all she's been all you know invited to hollywood to talk to to about teton um thomas alia teton um and i but people here aren't kind of aware of how important she is because she's not i mean that's one of the things that we have you know if it was it's like you know she's like judy it's like judy dead you know do you know what i mean if, um if she came here you would have you would have, you know, everything fills. So it's like we have to, you know, we have to start at the beginning raising awareness for this. You know, five years ago, we're just, and little by little, we we get more people interested. And and it's very nice to be here talking to you and another way to, well, to tell people much. tell people about it. And um, yes, so, so Mirti Ibarra, Vladimir Cruz actually lives in Spain, but he, he still works a lot in Cuba. So you've got these top, 
top stars of Cuban um, cinema. Um, you've got Julie Valdez, the, the internet. You know, that's a great opportunity to have a kike and, and say thank you to them as well for all the, the help they've given us. And of course, we've got Ugo Rivalta, the co-director of the festival. He comes every year and is very popular with everybody. He's And he's doing some talks and things for us. We've also got things for young people, etc. Wonderful stuff. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. The festival is Wednesday the 13th of November through to Saturday the 16th of November and the CCA website has some information on it. Do you have your own website as well? We do have our own website. It's uh, hgfilmfest.com and we've got all the programme there. So we've got our extended programme that's also, um, you know, some other things happening, some education things and some food and uh, salsa party and all these kind of things so you can find out we've got a Facebook page um, HG Film Fest or Havana Glasgow Film Festival on our Facebook page too wonderful thank you so much thank you This particular episode of the podcast has been filled with people who have been coming to the CCA for years. The Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra has often had weekends here and various sundry events across the year. However, I believe, Jerry, welcome to the show. Hello, Gareth. Hi. What, what have you got coming up? Well, um, we have an f- annual international festival. We've had it for the last 11 years, so this is the 12th year. So it's Geofest 12, and it's the last weekend in November, running into the beginning of December. Um, it's a three-day event, and we have artists from all around the world coming and contributing. And, uh, we play some new things that they've composed or arranged or designed for us, and we play some new things of ourselves, and we've often got some new music to listen to too that we've recorded. Well, one of the things about the Improvisers Orchestra is it's been going for a while and lots of different events. And it's perhaps not what people would expect because, well, a very diverse range of styles that you approach. Yeah, I think when people say improvisation, the first thing that comes into mind is some of the wonderful jazz improvisers who have been around for many, many years and, and created some wonderful music. And um, we're great, very fond of jazz improvisation, but we're, we're interested in people who make any type of music. And uh, the um, improvisers that we have in our group probably have a, we have a smaller number of jazz musicians. I think at the moment we've got 34 people in the entire group, probably got about seven or eight jazz musicians, about nine or ten classical musicians. People come from traditional backgrounds, from rock backgrounds, and more and more now from sound artists mm. and um, electronic backgrounds. So it's quite, it is quite a diverse range. And when you listen to Geo, you, you, you know, if you're wanting to you know, tap in two and four, it's, it's, not, it's not often that that happens, but it happens sometimes. Do, do you have your programme arranged yet? I know we're talking quite early. Yeah, well, it's it's early, but it's it's not that early. Um, we we've kind of decided we we know what's happening, um, we've got everything sort of tentatively planned. Um, and um, the most important thing is that we've got our guests who are, who, are, who are coming and planning for guests and mm. such. Um, coming from around the world always takes a little bit of time and planning. And um, we've got Alvin Curran who's coming from from Rome. He lives in Rome now. Oh, well, he's originally from from um, Rhode Island, I think he was born. A famous American composer. He was to be a student of Elliot Carter. He formed the Musica Electronica. V- Eva group way back in the 60s and he's still performing all around the world so he's coming and bringing a piece of music that he's created in the past but he's redesigning it to suit Geo right down to the just makes me think of Duke Ellington he wanted to know musicians he wanted to know what they were playing what styles they played so he's going to fine-tune a new piece for us and that will be launched on the Friday night the second night of the festival do you have other guests as well coming across we do we've got um, Anne Paginan who's a singer composer, violinist, a multi-instrumentalist from um, Sweden. Um, and she's bringing a new piece of music called The Salt Variations that she's composed um, for us. Uh, we're actually going to be rehearsing some of that this evening here in the CCA. So she sent us some things through last night for us to, to, to get our teeth around. We've also got Peter Knight, who's the 
artistic director of the Australia Arts Orchestra. Um, he's been here probably four or five times in the last 12 years. Uh, we've got a reciprocal thing with him where we send some people out and they do a, an intensive creative music intensive course thing with them um, in Tasmania. Um, and uh, he often brings a student over here. Mm -hmm and they learn about how we run the festival here. So he'll be here too. And we've also got two members of the Kitchen Orchestra from, from Norway. We've also got Maggie Nichols, who's a singer based in London and South Wales at the moment. Um, she's been with Geo ever since we started. She's al always comes up as a guest and she's a great influence. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, we've also got to have Corey Mwamba back up. Corey's a vibraphonist and multi-instrumentalist percussionist. Um, he's going to be here in a kind of advisory capacity, doing some discussions, leading some discussions and some workshops. So they're workshops as part of the weekend as well? Yeah, we, we try and make it a community event. Um, we, we've got concerts on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday evenings. And then late afternoon on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we have kind of free concerts, which actually take place in this space here in the cinema space. Um, shorter concerts, maybe some more sort of bite-sized things, so we can attract some of the community in to see if, if they like the, the type of thing, and it, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a few new things happening this year that should be quite exciting. And we also have workshops and discussions on the Saturday during the day. We, we have a workshop for, for the very, very young from like four months to five years or something, but very, very young children. Um, and Guro Johansson from, from um, Norway will be leading that one. And then later, around the middle of the day on Saturday, we'll have an open workshop for anybody, mm -hmm. which Anne will, will, will run. Um, she, her workshops are always very exciting, very different. And then in the afternoon, we'll be having some open discussions uh, about the nature of improvisation, maybe looking at graphic scores and things like that. Then Corey will be part of that, Corey Malamba. So, it's, so we, we kind of want to open the doors to the CCA for the whole three days and people can pop in at any time. We're always here rehearsing, drinking coffee, <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah. It's very interesting to hear that you've got something for very young people as well. Is, is improvisation quite easy for them to connect to? Well, it's a good question, and I, I think improvisation is the easiest thing for anybody to connect to. Very, very young children, before they can even communicate linguistically, often between the, with their parents and carers, grandparents, they, they, they have a way of expressing themselves that they know what they mean. They usually do it through noises or through verbalisation. They hear, they hear some things and they, 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 they can maybe respond to that. But with music, it's wonderful. We're, we're, not, we're not there to teach them how to sing Dory Me or Baba Black Sheep, which is wonderful to, to do, but just basically to get them involved, like playing loud noises, soft noises, high notes, low notes, all done with gestures and things like that. And um, they often respond really, really well. In fact, um, some... Some parents come back, you know, month after month because we run a, a, a children's workshop once a month here at the CCA on a Friday morning and people come back and the, the, the children get more and more interested. So, yeah, improvisation is a thing that connects people and it, it's very easy to get involved in. You know, we say the same thing to adults, you know, if you want to come along to one of our sessions, we have workshops here every month. You don't even have to have an instrument, just come along, we'll throw something at you and make a noise, we'll, we'll respond. And it's that opportunity to be included that seems so important in improvisation. What was it that attracted you to improvisation as a, a way of expressing yourself? Well, when I was very young, my, my, my older brother, who's 15 years older than me, he, he's, he was and still is a jazz pianist. Um, and I, I, it was it always amazed me that my mum my and dad would sing all these Frank Sinatra, Mel Torme, you know, that kind of cool songs. He would sit and play them and then do something different with them. Um, and it really, I got really interested in how he was able to do that. I still don't quite understand it, but I, when I started playing piano, I was listening to people like, you know, Bill Evans and um, Art Tatum and all, 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 all Winton Kelly. I, 
all those great pianists aspiring to try and imitate them and failing completely miserably. But I, I just love the fact that you can take something in jazz, something reasonably well known, and then, then make it your own. And you've heard so many different versions of Autumn Leaves or Blue Boss or whatever, and everyone's, everyone's different, which is really interesting. And then this sort of more abstract improvisation I started listening to with Raymond McDonald, who's the, one of the founders and, and artistic directors of, of the orchestra, uh, I started playing with him when he was very young and, uh, well, very young, a teenager. And um, we did the traditional jazz stuff and um, he got really interested in improvisation and free free expression. And I started listening to people like Anthony Braxton and um, even even Frank Zappa. There, there's always so much, Charles Mingus, mm -hmm. you know, so, 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 so much dimension to all these musicians. And I found it really exciting when music just opened up and you didn't know where it was going to go. I think that's worth saying, isn't it, that all of the experiences at yeah. the weekend are going to be unique. Never to yeah. be repeated. That's Absolutely. the nature of improvisation. Yeah, even when we rehearse the sort of structure of something, it's never the way it sounds. Mm. On, the, on the night, it's, it always sounds different. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great many different ways of creating that improvised sound as well. You're talking about some visual scores and things like that. Yeah. And you, you've had pieces written for the Glasgow Improvisers yeah. Orchestra over the years. Do you know what format they're going to arrive in, for example? Um, we, we, we usually do. Sometimes mm. we don't. Um, but we've had people like, you know, um, George Lewis has written pieces for us um, and um, he, some of them are graphic scores, some of them are completely through scored pieces with lots of spaces for freedom we've had graphic scores that, that, that take maybe paintings by Kandinsky in one, in, in one case and using the poetry of, of Edwin Morgan and, and combining words and pictures and giving the, the musicians an opportunity to, to use those as catalysts to create something new. We've had graphic scores that, that are static and we've had graphic, graphic scores that move around. We've had artists come who manipulate images. That's going to happen at one, one of our Geo Extensions concerts, but I'll maybe tell you about that in a minute. Um, where the images themselves are improvised and the music is improvised in responding to the images. So everything you're seeing and hearing is happening spontaneously. You, you can't really do anything wrong. You just have to go with it. And whatever you respond is, that's what you respond with. You've got quite a large number of performers, though, as part of the orchestra. Yeah. Has, has that grown over the years? Has that been something you've got up to this, what is in the 30s, I think? Yeah, I think we've got 34 people just now. Some people, you know, move away. But, but often people, you know, they stay with the, the, the orchestra for a long, long time, unless they've got commitments where they just can't do it anymore. So yeah, we've grown from probably 12 years ago, maybe around about 15 to 20 musicians to, to, to in the mid-30s now. And it's a big, big group to handle. Um, there, are, there, are bigger, there are big improvisation groups around the world. The London Improvisation Orchestra are relatively big, like, like us, and there's ones in New York and Berlin. The interesting thing people say when they come to hear Geo is that they expect to hear a cacophony, you know, mm -hmm. from start to finish, and that's not what they hear. And I think the good thing is we, we like to develop new players and we've got people who have been in the group for less than a year. And the majority of people have been there for a long, long time and we're used to playing with them. And, and then so we can, we can adapt and adopt and change what we do and we give space and we sit back and allow people to get involved or to, to be prominent or less prominent. And we try to control the sound locally all the time. It's a really important thing for us. Mm -hmm. So we've not got a big booming PA system and all the singers at the front and the lead guitarists are making crazy noises. So... We're basically trying to allow, you know, for a level playing field, for people to come out, for, for groups to support them. So we always have completely free pieces that we play, as well as some some semblance of structure. And you're saying that you're engaging with people creating visual images. Yes. As uh, improvised visual images. How did that come about? A number of years ago, the, the Hippodrome um, Cinema, near Grangemouth, but the Hippodrome had a, had a festival called Hip Fest. And the, 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 the tradition of playing music to silent film 
is something that's been happening for a long, long time before before there was sound. Um, and many people do that really successfully these days. So we were invited up to to perform to a, a, a piece of music that was a German film that was produced in the 30s. And um, we did that and it went, went really, really well. And we, we've, we've been involved in, in that kind of thing um, on and off throughout the years. That was maybe seven or eight years ago. I think for, for an audience coming to hear an improvised concert, having some visual stimulus as well, I think complements what, what, what they're listening to and perhaps gives them some greater sense of understanding of what's going on because they see the artists responding to the images. Mm -hmm. Although some, some improvisers don't want to respond to anything, they just want to close their eyes and go with it, which is absolutely fine. You know, that's, that's as free as you can get. But yeah, yeah. And, and with technology moving now where you can manipulate images in a much more sophisticated mm -hmm. way and a much more immediate way yeah. is, is, is something that's, that has opened up a whole new world. It's very exciting because I think mostly when I think of improvisation, I'm thinking of dance or music. Uh -huh. But as you say, the other media, because of the technology, because of the advances, are allowing other forms to take, take on an improvised thing. What do you think the sort of real big attraction uh, for people outside of music is to get involved with a musical organisation to do something? What do you think is it appeals to them? Because I can see how it appeals from your side. What brings them? I, I think it's the, the, the sort of whole sensory palette to that you can you can you can complement something, whether it's a, a, a painting, um, a moving image, watching people move around. And you can complement it with something as musical that, that that's spontaneous and um, gives the, the the audience much more of a sense of being part of the performance because you are responding not just to the, the, the visual stimulus or the or the, the dancers around you you're responding to the audience you feel the people around and and so so they become part of the, the effect in fact i remember a number of years ago i worked on a project with wolfgang stang who's a german um, improvising dancer and the first thing he did with us when he got us all over there was he took all our instruments off us gave them to the dancers and asked us to dance uh, which was very, very, um, I don't know what the word was, it was kind of a terrifying thing to do. But they, 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 these non-musicians who were mm -hmm. dancers just started playing these instruments. Mm -hmm. We started dancing around and then we swapped around and then we realised we could create something brand new just by understanding what was what, what was going on. So I think it's just another another dimension, but an important dimension. And as we all know, the musical dimension is the one that we can least uh, define, mm -hmm. we can least pin down by the very nature of that. It's something that appeals to everybody. On that note, I'm going to pin you down to say the event is happening at the end of November. Do you have a website where people can get more information? Yes, it's www.glasgowimprovisersorchestra, all the big long word, dot com. If you go into the CCA website, there's links to it then. It kicks off on Thursday the 20th of November for three days and there's events Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So please come along. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much, Gary. Thanks. The music that you've been hearing throughout the show has come from the GOI's album, Energy Bean. And so, to this month's final guest. Travis Albanza is bringing Burgers, a personal and provocative performance, to the CCA on the 13th of November as part of Buzzcut's Double Thrills. First of all, are you on tour at the moment? Uh, we've got a quick little week break until we go back again. But yeah, so I'm actually back in London doing another theatre show that I'm casting uh, in the break of the tour of Burgers. <laughs> and w when do you start up again? Because you're coming up to Glasgow in November, but I think you you've yeah. been to Dublin already and a few other dates? We've been to Dublin, I go to Liverpool at the end of October, then we start the tour and go to Birmingham, to Glasgow then, and then back down Manchester way, Glasgow, Bristol, 
Or it, yeah, so I kind of going all over. Uh, you're, you're really busy at the moment. Yeah, but it's all good, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Oh, that, that's excellent. Obviously, the, the, the big success in Scotland was the Edinburgh Fringe. How, how was that experience for you? Edinburgh Fringe was wild because it was actually my first Edinburgh ever. Uh, I'd never been to Edinburgh Fringe before as a guest, even as a, let alone a performer. And so it was so interesting because I was kind of treating it like any other gig. Mm-hmm. But everyone then was talking about it as this kind of mythical beast, I feel. Uh, and, you know, I, it was so fortunate that we had such a great run. And uh, it was so lovely to be at the Traverse. Mm. And just to be in Scotland for a whole month, really, was really, really fun. It was great to see some people that have seen me perform and work in Glasgow travel across to Edinburgh to see it. Mm. Um, yeah, I was really lucky for such a great run. It was, it was, you know, you always wonder, will the show, you know, you kind of wonder with Edinburgh, will it take off or will it not? And I was just glad to have what I felt was a really successful run. The, the exciting thing perhaps about the show, from what I've heard, because I didn't get to see you in Edinburgh, I had to let one of my other writers take responsibility for it, is that there's quite a bit of cooking involved. Yes, absolutely. It is genuinely a cooking show. You know, everyone asks, oh, what, so what's the show? I said, well, it's a cooking show. Uh, at the heart of it, we are making a burger. <laughs> and what, what made you go with cooking as the, the central point for it? Well, I think when you're trying to talk about things that can feel quite intimidating for not just an audience, but also myself, you know, things like trans politics, things like race and harassment and violence. I think to make a successful show, I felt like you have to ground it in something that could be also joyful or funny or frivolous. And uh, the idea of cooking one singular burger on stage to me was quite a nice way to balance what could be quite a heavy show. I think something that people are quite surprised about when they come to burgers is that a lot of it is comedy. You know, it's, it's quite a funny show. And I think the only way for that to happen was to bring in this quite uh, comical aspect of not knowing how to make a burger and having to make one on stage. And I believe that you have a little bit of audience participation as well? Just a tiny bit of the show. Just a tiny bit of the show. Uh, is uh, an audience participation. We have to bring up, I say tiny bit, I'm being ironic, we actually bring up a a whole, one man for the whole show Mm -hmm. to make the burger. So yeah, somehow it turned into an audience participation show. I think when it it started happening, I was like, oh no, this is going to be audience participation because I'm the first to say that I think so many of the times it goes horribly wrong. Mm. Uh, But what's been great is figuring out a way for it to work with burgers. And I do think it's what maybe people enjoy about it. You know, it's quite a different way of, working they they don't expect it in the show or well, now because they've seen all the reviews i think they do but yeah. even the way it comes up is that they are very shocked with where it goes and how what takes place on the stage i think it's quite interesting as well you're coming to glasgow as part of the buzz cup program which is a wonderfully exciting well year round pretty much now presentation of works in the live art tradition do you see your work in a live art tradition or how would you describe what you do well i think i come from a live art background and mm-hmm. performance and I don't come from a theatre background Burgers is my first full-length show and kind of a lot of the people that have maybe been following my work prior to Burgers would associate me with you know more cabaret and clubs and queer performance and I think it's quite exciting to be situated in live art because I do think that Burgers kind of chose the line of being both theatre but also you know it has lots of live art tendencies to it. Mm-hmm. And what is it about live art that you find exciting, or or cabaret for that matter? I think for me it's about breaking rules or the rules not being there in the first place. I think that so much of theatre has a tendency to be so rigid and Mm. has a tendency to really forget about feeling an audience 
And what live art and cabaret world does is we can never forget about audience. It's there, you're performing it in precarious situations, you don't have the support of big institutions, all of this. So it really forces you to focus on the work and your relationship to the audience in a way that I've loved. I, I felt like it's been an amazing training ground to like hone in my performance skill. There's also something I think in live art that allows for more interesting content and th things perhaps that would be in the margins that theatre wouldn't necessarily let in. And you're talking about the freedom as well of that and cabaret. Is that something you found in your own work? Yeah, definitely. I think it's so funny when you step into theatre world, you're suddenly closing down what you're used to seeing on stage or your representation. And it's like, I kind of think I was kind of spoiled in cabaret and live art because I was seeing lots of incredible black queer work it was kind of commonplace you know I feel like queers were doing so much of it and then suddenly you step into theatre and it feels like the voices become more narrow so it's been really enjoyable for me to to kind of transfer that world over with burgers and be able to take it to bigger stages. Well it was certainly that Traverse in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is one of the biggest stages I guess you can get to in the theatre world without becoming a, one, of, one of the really very commercial pieces of theatre so that was very exciting to see you in that lineup as well this year. D did you get to see very much during the Fringe? Were you able to go and see Yeah, I got to see loads. It was really like I made sure that I think the way I survived Fringe was that I didn't make it about myself. I really tried to make sure that I was doing my show for two hours a day but apart from that I was sat in the ability to go and see all these artists that I've been watching and on the, you know, online or following their newsletters. I got to have the chance to see them work in Fringe and that was that was a real treat. I loved it. I mean, that, that's the other exciting thing about the Fringe is that you get to see all sorts of things. Now, I, I will go back. You said it's a, a quite an enjoyable comic show in many ways, but quite, quite a serious place that it came from. What was the inspiration for the work? Yeah, so uh, in April 2016, a burger was thrown at me in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. And whilst I was shouted a transphobic slur at, and uh, I wasn't originally going to make work about something like that, but what was plaguing me for months after was remembering that no one did anything. Mm. And more and more I was seeing on my timeline lots and lots of my friends experience hate crimes. And what they were so hung up about wasn't the hate crime itself. I feel like actually a lot of gender non-conforming people are used to that. It was more the fact that no one was doing anything. And I think for me, although the show is about my experience, I think it's much more about the audience's reaction to that experience mm. rather than delving into my trauma. And I wanted to take this opportunity to see if I could make a show that creates people, a change in people to step up and do something. I think there's a great problem because that the majority, I think, of theatre audiences would see themselves as liberal, inclusive, trans-positive, sex-positive, various other you know, progressive politics, but not necessarily confronted with it or, or, or asked to question their, their own complicity when they stand back. Yeah. So w was that important to you when you're making the work, you're talking to that audience? Absolutely. I think we get into a really dangerous bubble, thinking that we are all sound and sweet. When actually that's just not the case, you know, we've seen a rise of anti-transphobia, not just in the far right, but in across our liberal circles too. Mm. What, just last week, The Stage, which is our what most well-known publication that would probably see themselves as liberal, commissioning a well-known anti-trans writer, Sarah Dighton, to write a horrible piece about trans people. Mm -hmm. I think actually we're in a really dangerous moment where we're thinking that transphobia is only reserved for the right. Whereas actually that's just not the experience for trans people. And when I'm writing the show, I make it very, you know, I, I have to be astute in knowing who my audience are. No one, including myself, is let off the hook in the show. It's, it's something that concerns me, actually, speaking as a liberal myself, that the, the far right and the alt-right have, have allowed us to 
basically palm off our negative behavior and say, well, they're doing it and they're so much worse. So therefore our complicity in maintaining certain hierarchical structures gets hidden. So it, it's lovely to challenge it. Do, do you feel theater is a good place for that kind of challenge as well? Yeah, I feel like it can be. I feel like if we've got the right attitude and critique, it's obviously not the be all and end all. I'm not one that thinks that art can on its own make direct changes. We have to be linking it to direct action and organizations. But I do think that performance, if done right, has the ability to make accessible conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've really loved about Burgers is I think with trans issues and particularly around violence and harassment and gender nonconformity is there's so much language and so many conversations that people don't feel like they can grasp hold of. Mm -hmm. And I feel like performance for me, when it's done right, has the ability in an hour to direct an experience to someone that might take them years to if they were reading books or years if they were listening. It opens us up to a person that we might not always have experience with. Mm. And I think when theatre is done well, it, it really creates the ability to have such an accessible conversation. That's what I love about performance, is it feels, when done right, mm. a really accessible way to have quite complex political conversations. just leaves me time to say thank you to all of our guests and of course to the people who make this podcast possible kenny for technical support rowan and julie for making this all possible in the first place not forgetting sunny govern for fm broadcast i'm gareth k Barr. that was november cca podcast and i shall be back in a month for december's edition energy made music freely or formally Vibrating with the universe any way you feel feeling the universe. Vibrate you in health. Enjoy you. Enjoy. Enjoy.